Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Well, that thinned the crowd. (laughs) I think God's about to do something more than what he's already done. I'm thankful for his presence and his spirit that is here in a rich way. And I was very marked by what Brother Flowers said. If you weren't listening, you might have missed it. That when we live a life of worship, this is how it feels. When we live a life of worship, this is what it feels like. I want to live a life of worship, don't you? I want to be a worshiper. I don't mean just on Sunday morning. I want to be a worshiper. Every day that I live, I want to be a worshiper. I want to wake up singing, Lord, you are good. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to sort of walk through the scripture this morning, I think. We're going to sort of start near the back and work our way towards the front. And uh, if that makes you nervous, if you're thinking, man, there's a lot between the back and the front, we probably won't get all the way back to the front, just in case you were wondering. We'll probably even just stay in the New, T- the New Testament. I feel like the Lord would like to talk to us today. I have a question for you. But before I pose that question, I'm going to ask us to stand together. Praise God. Praise God. I want us to lift our hands one more time and lift our voices. If you're physically capable, would you lift your hands toward him? It's simply saying, I lift you up and I surrender to you, Lord. Come on, it's just simply a pattern of worship, a pattern of praise. Come on, I'm aligning myself with you, Lord. I pray that you would be worshipped. I pray that your name would be exalted. Hallelujah. Come on, and with your hands raised, would you cast every care on him right now? Come on, anything that you care about, anything that's weighing on your heart or your mind, anything that would still linger, that would try to be a distraction, I'm asking you right now, cast your care on him. Come on, the word of the Lord said, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. This is the desire of the Lord. I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Jesus, we lift our hands and our voice to you this morning. We magnify you because you are God. We cast our care upon you because you are God and you care for us. Lord, you are able to deal with every care of life. And so this morning we release it to you and we open our spirit unto you. I pray be glorified, be magnified here, be exalted here. In the name of Jesus, let your word be imparted into our spirit today, accomplishing what you send it to do. Let it come with clarity and purpose as only you can. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now I have a question for you. 
Now, don't answer too quick. But I do want you to answer. Okay? Whether you answer it out loud or in your spirit, probably good to answer it out loud, but I won't go around and poll everybody. Here's the question. Do you want your life to glorify God? Do you want your life to glorify God? I believe you. I do. Would you like to know how? The word tells us how. Amen. You can be seated. Second Peter chapter number two. One, Second Peter chapter number one. And we'll just start at verse number one. <clears throat> I'm going to read pretty quick this morning for sake of time, but I'm not going to rush. Second Peter chapter number one. We'll just start at verse number one just for flow. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's who he's writing to. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if you have not obtained like precious faith as Simon Peter, then he's not writing to you. But if we've obtained the like precious faith, he's writing to us. We obtained it through the righteousness of God, not our own righteousness. Through the righteousness of God, our Savior Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through. Notice he keeps using this word through. That word through there is by means of. This is how it happens. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You want grace and peace multiplied into and through your life? Here's how it happens. It comes through an That word there, knowledge, in the Greek is an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not, oh, I know who God is like I know who President Bush is. I don't know where that came from. That was the name that popped into my head. I don't know him. I just know who he is. That's not what this word says. Through the knowledge of God. This is through experiential knowledge of God. You've had some experiences in your life and in relationship that you know Him. When you have that relationship with Him that you know Him, grace and peace is multiplied through that. Because the more you experience Him in life, the more you know that it's His grace that enables you. The more you know that it's His peace that keeps you. And you come to know him more through the experiential knowledge of him. Now watch, we're we're really trying to get somewhere. Verse 3. According as his divine power. Everybody say his divine power. power. Hath given unto us. What has his divine power given us? All things. Not some things. All things that pertain 
unto life and godliness. I want to let that settle into your spirit. His divine power has given unto us all things. Everything you need related to life and godliness, He gives you. If you're not living a full life in Him and a godly life in Him, it's not because He has not given you what's needed. We're just going to talk really straight and plain this morning. The word of the Lord is clear. When we are baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we should be filled with His Spirit. When we are baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's the divine power, it gives us all things that we need that pertain to life and to godliness. How does this happen? The same way grace and peace are multiplied in our life. Through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue. Through knowing Him, through an experiential knowledge of Him, through a relationship with Him. Now watch what happens. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, by these promises, you and I might be, watch. Here's what we should be because of these promises. We should be partakers of the divine nature. You hear that? Say that with me. Partakers of the divine nature. Say that. Are you a partaker of the divine nature? We don't use that word too often, do we? Partake. Let's sit down to dinner and partake of this meal. But that's what it's talking about, right? A partaker is one that receives of. Through his promises, the design and the purpose and the plan of God is that you and I become partakers of his divine nature. This is really important. What does that cause to happen? Or mean has happened. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence and add to your faith virtue. So if you have faith, there should be some growing and building blocks that are taking place. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. Sounds, sort of sounds like the fruits of the Spirit some of the way, right? Faith and temperance and patience and godliness and charity. Verse 8, watch what he says. For if, it's a big word. If these things be in you and abound, what do they do? They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these things are in us and they abound, then we are not barren and we're not unfruitful. In knowing Jesus. All right. 
A couple more verses here in this chapter, verse 9. But, it's another big word, right? He that lacketh these things. Remember verse 8, he said, if these things be in you. Now he's given us the contrast. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Verse 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. This is the second time that Peter has told us to give diligence in this passage of Scripture. That word give diligence means to apply ourselves. Apply ourselves. Give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. Why? For if you do these things, it's a pretty powerful promise. You shall never fall. Pretty powerful word of God. One more verse, 11. For so, or as a result, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a pretty powerful 11 verses right there. Now, I'm going to read it a little faster than that in the Amplified, not all of it. But I want to start with verse number three. Listen. For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promises of inexpressible value so that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom. That almost sounds like an oxymoron. That immoral freedom. You understand you and I have a freedom to live immorally if we choose to do so. But he said by these promises we can escape from that immoral freedom. That is in the world because of disreputable desire. And we become sharers of the divine nature. For this very reason. Applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence and in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, and understanding. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, steadfastness. In your steadfastness, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly affection. In your brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefit. For as these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you grow towards spiritual maturity, they will keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, closing his spiritual eyes to the truth, having become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? And who was he writing them to? Those of like precious faith. 
We can sometimes read that and think, oh, he's writing to a bunch of lost people. He was writing to those of like precious faith saying, hey, there's this challenge. And so he talks to us about something here. He brings to us this statement that we can be a partaker of the divine nature. Have you ever made this statement or heard this statement? Ah, that's just human nature. I can't help it. That's just my nature. You ever said that? I have to. I have this terrible thing in my nature. I love picking on my wife. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's irritable for her. It's my human nature. Human nature. And you and I all have a human nature. We're born with it. Right? And left to our own devices, my human nature doesn't do what it should do in relationship to God. And so the only hope is that you and I would become a partaker of divine nature. Because if I keep trying to fulfill a life that glorifies God in my human nature, I'm going to fall short, I'm going to become frustrated, and I'm going to fail. But we read here some things that when we become partakers of His divine nature, that if these things abide in us and they abound, then we'll never fall. You mean I can have a human nature that never falls? No, that's not what he said. The only way there will never be a falling is if it's the divine nature, the nature of God living, working, operating in my life. And so I have to fellowship him. We see a couple of times we pointed it out. The only way to have the divine nature of God working in my life is to know him. I'm glad you're here today. I hope you come again Wednesday or Sunday or both. But being here today doesn't make you know him. It's a start. But you and I have to pursue a personal relationship with him. I look around this room and I, I see the different, uh, different ones in this room. And I, I, almost everyone in this room, I can think at some point along the journey, somewhere along the way, we've had a cup of coffee We've had a meal together or two or three. We maybe played basketball together or done some work together and some more than others. And I look, you don't know me because you come here on Sunday and maybe every once in a while I hold a microphone. We understand that, right? We come to know each other because we spend time together. My wife and I have spent almost 27 years together. We know each other pretty well. And there's this goofy thing that happens the more we spend time together. The more we spend time together, the more we know each other. She can finish my sentences. That's not always good. I can finish her sentences. That's definitely not always good because I need to let her finish what she's saying. That's human nature again. But the more you spend time together, the more you know each other. We understand that in the natural. Why would we think for a moment in the spiritual that we could spend a couple hours on a Sunday morning, an hour on a Wednesday night, and therefore I know God and we have this deep abiding relationship and His nature's in my life. 
It doesn't work that way. And he's inviting us to a relationship whereby we are partakers of his divine nature. The very nature of God living, working, operating in our lives to where what I could not do on my own. Now the nature of God is directing my steps, directing my choices, directing my thoughts, directing my life. And I find myself living and acting and doing things I would not do given my human nature. But the nature of God in me is now leading my life. I'm no longer led by my flesh. I'm led by His Spirit. This is what the Apostle Peter is talking to us about. And he tells us this comes through an experiential knowledge of Him. Why do you think the enemy doesn't want you to pray? Why do you think the enemy doesn't want you in the Word of God? Because the more you genuinely open your spirit and dig into the Word and open your spirit in communion and fellowship with God, the more you get to know Him and the more you come to know Him, the more you and I realize, I can't do it in my human effort and ability. My only hope is in Christ alone and when I know him his nature begins to move in my life and when I'm filled with his spirit and I fellowship his spirit I now begin to be led by his spirit and I'm a partaker of his nature this is the design and the desire of God so that he would be glorified notice something he said there in verse number 8 if these be in you and abound. They make you, I think that's what it says. Better get back over here so I don't misquote that. Yeah. They make you, not you make yourself. If these things are in you and they abound, what do they do? They make you that you will neither be, watch these two words he used. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. You understand what it means to be barren? To be barren means you produce no offspring. To be unfruitful means your life has no evidence of a godly relationship. But if these things are in you and abound, they make you so that there's some reproduction taking place spiritually. So that there's some spiritual fruit manifesting itself. This is important. Okay. You're thinking, man, he said we were going to go backwards and we just haven't moved yet. Don't worry here. We're moving. Everybody doing all right? Tap your neighbor and say, I want to glorify God in my life. Tap another neighbor and say, I want my life to glorify God. All right, turn back with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. Galatians 5 and verse number 16. there say amen all right that was a pretty good host of amens right there galatians 5 and verse 16 
Now this is the Apostle Paul writing. We heard from the Apostle Peter. Now we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You ever felt that way? That you just can't do what you would? Listen to it in the Amplified. But I say walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature. Which responds impulsively without regard for God and His precepts. For the sinful nature has its desire which is opposed to the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the spirit nature, are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict, so that you, as believers, do not always do whatever good things you want to do. The writer of the Amplified called it sinful nature. That's our human nature. It's the sinful nature. You understand? And so... This is why we need to be partakers of the divine nature so that we can walk in the Spirit. Let's keep reading in the King James, verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Everybody say, I'm listening. All right. The works of the flesh are manifest or made known, which are these. Now we're talking about works of the human nature. The sinful nature. Here's what they are. This is not an all-inclusive list, but it's a pretty good start. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Seditions. Heresies. Envyings. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelings. And such like of the which I tell you before... As I have also told you in time past, watch what he says, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, man, the Apostle Paul, that's pretty strong words. It's very clear words, isn't it? He's saying, hey, if you and I live according to our sinful nature, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty straightforward. Say, I don't even understand half of that stuff he said. What in the world are heresies and emulations and seditions? And well, I'm glad you asked. So let's just run through those real quick. Can we just sort of rip the band-aid and the cover off and just dig in the word? Let's see what the word says. Let the Lord help us. We want our lives to glorify God, right? We want our lives to glorify God. Amen? Amen. And so we have to address this human nature. And we have to become partakers of the divine nature. It's the only way. So we'll run down through. And I'm going to go quick. We're not going to deep dive into these. Go back and find a recording where Brother Flowers taught about a year and a half ago. He did a tremendous, tremendous anointed job talking about all these. 
I don't know if we recorded it or not, but I remember. Adultery. There's a Greek word there. You might recognize this Greek word. It's called pornea. Recognize the beginning of that word? Yeah, it's where we get our word pornography from. Adultery. Sexual activity or intercourse outside of the marriage union. Sexual immorality. It may even include taking pleasure in pictures, films, or writings or actual acts outside of the union of marriage. That's human nature. Fornication. Fornication is also sexual sins, evil deeds and vices, including desires and thoughts of the heart. Fornication, one place the Apostle Paul said that many sins were without the body, but fornication was a sin against the body. Have to study that another way, another time. But in essence, if you dig in that and see, he was addressing the body of Christ. He was saying, hey, when you commit fornication, it's not just affecting you, it's affecting the body. What is fornication? Fornication is before marriage ever takes place, engaging in sexual relationships without a marriage union. Now, if you're here this morning, that's been something in your life. It's been washed in the blood. Just walk out of here and say, I've repented. It's before the Lord. I'm not living that way any longer. This is important. What's the difference? Why? You say, man, he addressed them both. Aren't they the same thing? No. Adultery is when marriage has already happened, and then there's this stuff taking place outside of the union of marriage. Fornication is when it's happening before marriage takes place. The Lord intended the beauty of human relationship and sexual matters to be a matter of marriage. Amen? We're just touching on some stuff here this morning. All the kids are out of here. You haven't heard this before. Well, you're hearing it now. And so now you're accountable to it. It's the word of the Lord. These are human nature. Okay? Uncleanness. And lasciviousness, I can't even say that Greek word. It's interesting, it's also sensuality. But in terms of following our own passions and desires, all the way to the point to where there's no shame or public decency. People don't even care anymore about what other people look or think. It's just total. Boy, that's in our world today, isn't it? Idolatry, the worship of spirits, of persons, or of images. Trust in any person, institution, or thing as having greater or equal authority with God. That's idolatry. If you put your trust in money rather than trusting God as your source, if you put those on the same level, that's idolatry. All right? We could go down the list there, but we won't this morning. Witchcraft. This is one of my favorite ones. When you dig into it. See if you recognize this Greek word. Pharmakia. That sound, what does that sound like to you? Pharmacia. That's where we get the same word from. Pharmakia. Do you think it is just a non-spiritual thing that our world is dealing with more drug epidemic now than it ever has? Meth and opioids and, and it's no respecter of social class. It doesn't matter from the poorest to the richest, you name it. What's happening? 
It's the spirit and it's the pursuit of a human nature. It's referenced even in the book of Revelation, pharmakia, witchcraft, sorcery, spiritism, black magic, worship of demons, and the use of drugs to produce experiences. The Bible calls it witchcraft. These are works of the flesh, human nature, hatred. I think we know what that means, don't we? Here's one you may not consider. Extreme dislike. I've heard somebody say, I don't hate them, but I really don't like them. Guess what? The Bible calls that hatred. You got to find an altar. And I'm not being funny. You got to find an altar. Amen. We got to find altars over these things and let the Lord heal our heart and become partakers of his nature. Get this human nature crucified so that our life glorifies God. Amen. This is important. Variance. This is quarreling, antagonism, a struggle for superiority. Emulations. That's resentfulness or envy of somebody else's successes. Wrath. That's explosive anger that flames into violent words or deeds. Strife, unrighteously seeking power or position, arguing just to argue. Seditions, that's introducing divisive teachings not supported by God's word. You ever met somebody that just wanted to debate? They weren't interested in learning or growing in the word of God. Don't give that room. Don't give that room. That's sedition. Heresies, division inside the congregation into exclusive groups or cliques that destroy the unity of the church. Envyings, resentful dislike of another person for something they have that you desire. You know, Paul was writing to the church when he said all this. Drunkenness, I think you know what that means. Revelings, excessive feasting. A party spirit involving alcohol, drugs, sex, or the like. Wow. That's the human nature. Those are things. So I've got to crucify the human nature. Amen? I need the Spirit of the Lord to do that. But let's, let's move off of that. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... What does the spirit produce? If I'm a partaker of the divine nature, remember he said, if these things are in your bound, they make you that you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful. So what is produced if the divine nature is abiding and working in my life, the fruit of the spirit is there's love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. These are pretty good things. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, watch this, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know what? Can we just be honest with ourselves this morning? With one another? Can you put verse 23 back up there, Brother Jeremiah? Just hit that back button a couple, couple spaces, please. One more time. Maybe, that, maybe 22. There we go. I was, um, I was talking to the Lord about these things a few weeks ago. You ever talk to the Lord about the fruit of His Spirit? 
I do. And uh, I was like, God, are all these things evident through my life? Right, because fruit, fruit everybody sees, right? You don't have to show them and tell them. You know, like if we walk down out in an orchard right there, it wouldn't take, every one of us in this room could walk down an apple orchard and say, you know what, there's no fruit on the tree. Or there's fruit on the tree, right? We can all see that. The apple tree's not over there going, look at me, look at me, I got fruit, I got fruit. Right? Nobody has to do that. If you have fruit, people see it. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's the same in our lives. So I have a question. When's the last time somebody accused you and I of saying, man, you have so much joy? Your life, it's just joy. Somebody once made a statement. It's not original with me, but I thought it was pretty funny. It's like, if you got the joy of the Lord, you should tell your face. I thought that was a pretty good comment. Right? Fruit is visible. And guess what? I don't have to fake joy when it's his joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. So what happened? See, I was talking to the Lord about this because I didn't feel like I had much joy a little bit back. You ever feel that way? Is that okay? Is that, is that too honest? Can we talk about this? I want my life to glorify God. And so it was a couple months back. I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of joy. I was concerned about that. So I thought, well, you know what? I go buy a new car. I'll get joy. Not really, but do you ever think that way? If I just, you know what I'll do? I'll just take a vacation. Then I'll have joy. Oh, no, if I... If, if my wife does this and fixes this, then I'll have joy. Well, if I believe that, I don't believe the word of God. Because joy does not come from outside circumstances and things. Joy is a fruit of what? His spirit. So I had to, I had to resolve something. The first thing I had to do, I had to go to an altar and repent. Of whatever I'd let get in the way in my spirit that was keeping joy from being produced. And then I had to start fellowshipping him and say, your nature. One place he said, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. So what happens? Fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't take any one of us in this room. Every one of us is very capable of going through the Word of God and saying, is this evident in my life? Is this in my life? Is this something that's a part of my daily living? Is this an outflow of my relationship with Him? And if I'm lacking joy, what do I do? I go to the source of joy. I go back to Him who gives perfect peace. I go to Him whose faith encourages and enables me. I look to the source and it's from His Spirit. Not from my circumstances, not from what I can control, but from an experiential knowledge of him using the words that Peter used. These are fruits of the spirit. See, I thought we were going to talk about glorifying God. We are. And so the way that happens is a fruit of the spirit operating and flowing out of my life. Amen? Amen. You want your life to glorify God? Yeah. So do I. Mine and yours. 
Amen. A couple more places in Scripture. John chapter 15. In the name of Jesus. While you're turning there, John 15, if I don't have love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, long, if those things aren't operative and I can tell when they're not there. Amen, Brother Lewis? I can tell when peace isn't there, Brother Joey. And so what do I do? Let me fix this. Let me. That's what my human nature does. My human nature says, let me fix this. Let me change this. Let me do that and that again. My spirit nature says, let me get with him. And now he may reveal some things to me as I start fellowshipping him that says, this is why you don't have peace. He may begin to deal with me in area, but if I'll yield to him in, in spending time with knowing him, he'll reveal those areas and he'll bring correction there and peace is restored in a moment. It's the fruit of his spirit. Now, this is important. Fruit doesn't just happen overnight. I'm not going to plant an apple tree out here in front of the church and then tomorrow you'll come back and there'll be apples on it. Fruit doesn't work that way. We understand that, right? I made the statement one time. That's why when you go to the grocery store, they call it produce. It doesn't just happen. It's produced. I don't know if that's really why they call it that, but anyway. John chapter 15, verse number 1. Now, we've heard from the Apostle Peter. We've heard from the Apostle Paul. Why don't we hear from the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, what does he do? Uh-oh. This whole idea of bearing fruit just got really serious, didn't it? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, I'm so thankful he doesn't go, you know what? You've had two weeks <laughs> throwing you away. We know the heart of the Lord. The scripture tells us of one place where the husbandman comes and he, he digs around the tree and he fertilizes it. Just give it one more year. Give it one more year. Maybe to produce. Give it one more year. That's the love and the long suffering of God. So every branch in me, Jesus is speaking, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bears fruit, we want to be that one. Every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? Oh, he just doesn't let me go my merry way. And No, he comes along and he purges it. What is that? That's like winter where they're going through these orchards. That's exactly right, Brother Raphael. It's the pruning. It's exactly right. He comes along, and you ever look at those orchards after they prune them, you think, my goodness, you guys butchered those trees. You know what's funny? Last year in the winter, I have this uh, shrub out in front of my house. And it was like as tall as the house on one corner. And I'd had enough. I'd been trimming that thing back a little by little. And I was like, you know what? I'm not trimming that thing back. I am coming in, and we are Cutting that thing. We're bringing it down to size. I'm not, I'm not doing this little every year. 
I mean, I went in, and the further I got, Brother Joel, I just, I was getting more excited. I'm getting more over there. Man, the further I got, I'm like, we're cleaning this thing out, man. We're, I am not dealing with this. I went to town. My wife, she came, and she's like, she saw the shrub. She's like, babe, is that going to even grow? In faith, I said, absolutely. You just wait and see. Now, I was pretty confident. You know why I was really confident? Because it still had a root in the ground. I didn't do anything to the root. And when you know, I probably created a monster. Because, man, that thing this spring and summer. <sighs> I think maybe when the snow goes, I'm going to cut it down to about that tall. Above the ground. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, whoa. Like one of those chia pets, like on steroids or something. It's crazy. It's out of control. What happened? When I, when I pruned it, when I purged it, it did something that caused it to grow more. This is, a, this is something we understand the things that are not seen by the things that are seen. And so what does the Lord do when my life and your life is plugged into Him, abiding in Him, when we're partaking of His divine nature and fruit is being produced, He says, you know what? I've seen some growth in you. I've seen some things happening. So now I'm going to come in. I'm going to bring some things. I'm going to cut some things off. And our human nature, two natures, our human nature can say, but God, I was living for you and I was, I was walking in your spirit and this was going right and I was, I was faithful in this and I was doing that and my prayer life was growing and what in the world is happening? What did I? And here's what our human nature does. What did I do wrong? Where did I fail? Where did I say, oh God, forgive me for anything I know and don't know God. Somehow. And we start searching all these and what's happening? God is pruning. He's purging. Why? I'll tell you why. So we'll bring forth more fruit. Don't despise the purging. It's part of the process. It's the love of the Father. It's taking you and I to a different place in Him to produce more fruit. And guess what? If He doesn't purge us, our human nature starts saying, you know, I'm getting pretty big. I'm really growing. I'm quite the fruit producer. So the pruning comes to remind us he's the vine. We're just the branches. All right. So he purges us not to hurt us. Not to hurt us. He purges us so that we'll bring forth more fruit. Now watch verse three. It's important. You are clean. He's still in the same context. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That word clean there goes with the word purged. Not the same word, but they go together. And he's talking about that concept of purging us. You are clean through the word. So the word does this in our life. That's when the word is sharp and quick and powerful like a two-edged sword that pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul, human emotion, and the spirit. The word does that. And then what does it do? It discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. That's the word of God. It's part of the purging process. Sometimes you're here and you think, man, brother flowers, brother heart, somebody else that took the mic, they're really picking on me. They don't know nothing. We don't know anything. Just the word of God is trying to come in and gently, but seriously come in and cut. And he, he's wanting to work to purge, to prune, to produce more fruit. 
You're clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Verse number four. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. This is important, right? I can't produce fruit on my own. You can't produce fruit on your own. You can wear yourself out. Don't raise your hand. Don't nod your head. Just here. You ever met somebody that just really tried to love everybody and they wore themselves out trying to love everybody? And if you ever saw them or got with them alone, you're thinking, man, they just are wearing themselves out. What in the world is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's someone trying to produce fruit in their human nature. They want to be perceived a certain way, want to, or they know they have this responsibility for love to be a part of their life. But rather than have an abiding relationship with God and let the love of God flow and operate through their lives, they just go, you know what, I'll spend a little time with God, but then I'll just I'll make this effort on my own to, I'm telling you, you do that, you're going to wear yourself out. But when it's the love of God, the true fruit of his spirit operating through us from spending time with him, it doesn't have to be forced or produced. It's an outflow of his spirit, the vine, we're the branch. Amen? All right. The branch can't bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. This is important. You and I will never produce fruit if we're not abiding in Christ. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do what? If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Watch this, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. You want your life to glorify Him? Herein, or this is how my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. Oh, and if you do that, so shall you be my disciples. For my life and your life to glorify him, we have to bear fruit. And fruit is not a work of the flesh. Fruit is a product of the Spirit. That's why it's called fruits of the Spirit. You say, but I do this and I do this and I'm in church every service. And, and praise God, you should be if you can. The, the Lord will bless you for that. And you, Well, but I'm this and I'm faithful here and I do all. The, and you should be all of those things. But if my life doesn't bear fruit... The word is clear. I'm going to be cast as a branch into the fire. How do I produce fruit? There's only one way. 
abiding in him, being a partaker of his nature, his divine nature, letting his nature live, work, and operate in my life, and then fruit is produced. You think people want to be around you just because you're a great person? Well, maybe some of you, not me. I know this guy. I'm not a very great person without him at all. But with him, people want to be around you because of the fruit of his spirit that manifests itself through your life. And so we've got to abide in him so this is produced. Why don't you stand with me today? This will glorify God. This will glorify God. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. What is for him? But he's up to the task. It's not for you and I. Just abide in him. Make the prayer closet the priority. Make the time in the word the priority. Let fruit be produced through my life and yours. I want to read one of the passages of scripture. Luke chapter 8. If you're reading along in Luke with us this month, you've read this already. Luke 8, verse number 11. Jesus told, of course, in the first few verses, the parable of the seed and the sower. Seed by the wayside. Seed on stony ground, thorny ground, good ground. Remember that? We're going to pick up in verse number 11, Luke 8 and 11. He said, the parable is this. Now he's revealing to them what he was telling. The seed is the word of God. Good seed, amen. Nothing wrong with the seed. Seed produces fruit after its kind. That's a principle from Genesis that we read last month or the month before. Remember that? Right? Seed yielding seed and fruit after its kind. It's a principle. So if the seed is good, the seed, if it's the word of God, should produce something from God. Remember what we read in John 15? If my word abide in you, seeds the word. Verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. They hear what? The word. And then comes the devil. Takes away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. Now, as we're reading, I know you, raise your hand if you've heard all this before. Yeah. See, that's sometimes a challenge for us. We've all heard this before. I've heard this preached and taught so many times. And oftentimes we read and hear this and we think, oh, this is talking about reaching the lost world. And it can apply. But guess what? You can have a garden filled with seed that will produce fruit. And if you don't go out there and put seed in the ground and nurture it again next year. No, I mean, I know there's some trees that keep producing fruit. But the less you care for it, it starts going pretty quick. This applies to mine in your life as well. We can come into a service on Sunday morning like today. The word of God can be spoken to us. That seed that is the word of God can be spoken to us and it can come and try to lodge in our heart because the Lord is wanting his word to do a work in us. He's wanting his word to produce fruit in our lives that glorifies him. And we can get up and walk out of here. And because we're so caught up with other stuff, the devil will come and steal away the seed. And what we felt in a moment on a Sunday morning will never take root in our heart on a Monday. Monday and will never be changed. So don't think for a moment this word is just for the lost. 
I have to constantly be searching my heart, letting the Lord by His Word and by His Spirit through men and women of God dig into the soil of my heart, break up the fallow ground. This is what an altar's for. God, break up the fallow ground. Let my heart be pliable and tender that the seed of the Word can get in and the enemy will not steal it away, but it'll work the way you want it to work in my life. God forbid my heart ever gets hard and doesn't want to receive the Word. Because you know what happens to seed on hard ground? It just slides across. The wind blows and it goes. Birds come and just snag it. And the seed never gets in the soil. And no fruit's ever produced. I'm sad to say in my 48 years I've watched some. Who at one point, Brother Flowers, they had a soft heart. Tender soil that man every word it seemed like they just laid hold on it got in there circumstances of life dry seasons came rather than keeping a closet letting the lord water the soil and letting the heart became hard on a church pew i don't mean out in the world the heart became hard the seed no longer got into soft soil but the heart was hardened and they remained faithful, but because of the hardened soil, every time they left a service, the enemy just came and took the seed right off the ground. That's what he's talking about. Verse 13. They on the rock, this is seed that fell on stony ground. They're the ones that when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Yes, I needed that. Spoke to my life. But they have no root. It's all superficial. It's all surface. Because there's no root. They believe for a while. But in time of temptation. That word temptation doesn't just mean something trying to lure us away. That word temptation means circumstances aren't so good. Because there was no root. A few bad circumstances. And they've already. Doesn't mean they left the church. Necessarily, circumstances got rough and they forgot or no longer trusted in the word anymore. Hear me this morning. I really feel the Holy Ghost here today. Hear me. I don't care what the circumstances are, the word never fails, it's forever settled in heaven. And I refuse to let the circumstances of life cause me to doubt and let the word be stolen from my heart. But that's stony ground. Verse 14. This is probably where you and I have the most challenges, especially in North America. With seed. That which fell among thorns. This is thorny ground. These are the ones that when they've heard the word. The seed. They go. But something happens. They are. Look at the words he uses. They are choked. You know what that word choked literally means? In the Greek. Strangled. (laughs) Choked. (laughs) Sorry, nothing fancy there. It's exactly what it means. They're choked. What chokes them? They're choked with cares. That word there means 
distractions. You say, well, there's things I care about that aren't distractions. Peter told us to cast our care. The writer here, Jesus, of course, was the one speaking. The indication here that says we're choked with care is when I have cares that are so great. And the reason they're so great is because I have not cast them on him. I no longer believe he can care for me. And so I carry it. Peter called that pride. And I carry that care rather than casting it on him. And it chokes out the word. It causes me to struggle. I want to believe the word, but what about this? I want the word. I mean, I know it's the word of God, but this thing here, I just can't see past. It's care and it chokes out the word. Now hear me, I'm not minimizing things that happen in life. But we need the word of God getting in the soil of our heart. So it's choked by cares and riches. And the pleasures of what? This life. This is the North American church, if ever it's speaking in anyone, I believe. We got so many things we're caring about. We got people pursuing riches above the kingdom of God. We got people that are more interested in the pleasures that they can find and have in this life than in looking beyond this life and living for the kingdom. And they're coming to church. They're faithful. They have some relationship with God. But all those things are choking. And watch what, watch what happens. It doesn't say they don't, bring, they don't have fruit. This is what's interesting to me. It says they bring no fruit to perfection. In other words, and this is a deception, I'm afraid. Because they look and say, no, there's fruit in my life. But when these things are choking out the word of God, there's no fruit to perfection or fullness complete and ripe. Anybody ever ate a persimmon? Two of us? Three of us? Anybody ever ate a good, sweet, nice persimmon? Raise your hand and wave it. Man, it's like one of the best. It's so sweet. Oh, my goodness. When I was young... I'm really trying to finish. I know you're standing. I've been standing too. When I was young, my dad gave me a persimmon. It was not ripe. It was fruit. It was on the tree. I could see the fruit. And I grabbed it off the tree and asked, can I eat this? I, I say he gave it. He didn't set me. I, I asked. Yeah, you can eat it. Will it hurt? No, it won't hurt you eat it. The Lord is my witness. I took one bite. And my mouth, it felt like it turned inside out. That is no exaggeration. If you've never ate a sour persimmon that's not ripe, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you, has anybody ever beside me ever made that foolish mistake? Am I telling the truth? Oh my goodness, it's like it, it like draws your mouth inside out. And it's like the most, I mean, Sour Patch Kids ain't got nothing on a persimmon. Let me just tell you that right now. It is like, oh my goodness, it's like, ah, it's terrible. But I've also had a fully ripe, sweet persimmon. I was a little skeptical of taking a bite after because of my experience. But it's sweet, 
juicy? What's the difference? Both fruit. One is fruit to perfection. Complete. Ripe. The other is fruit that's not fully perfected or complete. Someone please hear me today. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life choke out the word of God. And then the fruit that's produced, there's some fruit there. But oftentimes when it's manifest to the world, it doesn't have the effect that it should. Because it's not to completion. I want to cast all my cares. I don't want to get caught up in pursuing earthly riches above the things of the kingdom of God. I don't want the pleasures of life to be more important to me than the kingdom. Because all of those things choke the word. And I no longer have fruit produced to perfection. And I want my life to glorify him. Last verse 15. But that on good ground. Everybody say good ground. Good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, they keep it. They keep it. You know what that that word keep it there says? I make it my own. I make it my own. They keep it. And watch what they do. They bring forth fruit. With patience. What does that mean? It means they made the seed, the word, their own. And they understood the fruit may not be evident now. But I'm not letting go of the word. And in due season, there will be fruit. Patience. Would you talk to the Lord with me right now? Come on. You want your life to glorify him. He wants it to glorify him. And this is how the Father's glorified, that we bear much fruit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, He's dealt with us today. He's revealed to us. We have to get our human nature crucified. We need to let His divine nature work and operate through our lives. It's His desire in the world that we live in. that He would manifest His glory through us. Spiritual fruit being produced through our lives. Come on, I'm opening this altar to you. Why don't you find a place today? Talk to Him. If it starts in a place of repentance, then let it be so. But let the Spirit of God work in your heart. Let the nature of Christ be manifest through our lives today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let our life glorify you. Let me not make excuses for my human nature. But Father, according to your word and your design, I want to be a partaker of your divine nature. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
stand together as we pray. Lord, in your name, Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you for caring about each of us, God, and loving us. Thank you for speaking these things into our lives today. We're thankful for it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everything that we've heard today was rich and powerful. There was one particular part that the Lord really dealt with me about. As soon as Elder Hart started to speak on this, the Lord just said, this is, this is why so many of us don't have joy and can't find joy what elder said was what can I go and get that's going to bring me joy what can I buy what can I find what do I need to do to, where can I go f purchase joy but that's not where joy comes from and, and I believe it's Psalm 51 when David says restore unto me the joy of thy salvation that's where joy comes from. And with salvation becomes a secure future. See, joy does not come from anything in my past or anything I can obtain in my present. Joy only comes from what I know is in the future ahead of me. thought about my daughter Annabelle she's probably the most joyful person I've ever seen but it's she's also the most forward thinking person I've ever met in my life what, are, what what's today what, what are we doing today where are we going to go what, what about next week what about the week after that she's thinking about but in that is a security that brings joy And if I know that his salvation, the things he's done for me, even if I, I can get joyful thinking about my fruit being brought to completion, brought to perfection, in that is joy. Because I know it, this is a thing that's going to be obtained in the future. That brings me joy. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth.
I thank you for the joy, O God, that you've set before us. I thank you, Jesus, for the salvation, the saving work that you've done for each of us. You are our Savior, God, and you've brought us this far. Jesus, I pray let us abide in you. I pray let us find our root, God, in you. Jesus, I want to be connected to you. You're the vine. You're the source of power. You're the source of joy. You're the source of love. You're the source of all that I need. Let it be produced in me in my life, oh God, according to your will. According to your will, in the name of Jesus. Can I say one more thing? I, I'm going to tell on myself for a minute. I felt this. I don't know if I was the only one that felt this, but when, when Elder Hart said, when you... When you Start to have the fruit of the Spirit. People are going to want to be around you because of that fruit. I might have been the only person in the room that thought, I don't know how much I like being around people. And I don't know how much I want people being around me. But that's me. That's, that's, that's the same flesh, the same human nature part of things. But if I think about why do I don't want people around me because I don't want them to take me into that part of me. But if I make it about him and the fruit that can be obtained through him in, in my life, yes, that's how we glorify him. That's what the world needs to see is his glory through us in that way. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, go and share this, this fruit. Be fruitful. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.